Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. And welcome to Babylon. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get started this morning, I want to just say VBS was amazing. And uh, I want to just take a moment to say thank you to Jeff Pisano uh, for putting it on. He, he spent months putting all the details together, and his family, no doubt, probably helped him out a lot. And um, he couldn't do it on his own, though. And, and there are so many people that helped out to make VBS a poss- possible this year. And so if you helped out with VBS, uh, including you, Jeff, I'd like you guys to stand up so we can just uh, say thank you properly to you guys. So if you're part of VBS and you were a volunteer, stand up, please. Come on, Gene. All right, here we go. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Amazing people. Amazing people. Listen, serving the Lord, serving the, the body. You should have seen the little kids just lighting up, man. It was so amazing. So, such a great time. Not only did they have a great time, but they were immersed in biblical truth. And, uh, you know, the whole concept of VBS this year, I think, is for such a time as this. I mean, the whole Babylon and being carried off into captivity and still living for the Lord in a culture that isn't, uh, you know, is really says a lot to these to the kids and where they are in life. And so what an amazing time together. Thank you again, Jeff, and for everyone who participated in that, particularly Preston, you got, you did an amazing job as well. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter six this morning. Acts chapter six. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We find ourselves in chapter 6 this morning. Once you're there, stand with me, and we're going to read our text this morning. We're going to pray Pastor Tim's voice holds out for two services this morning. Last week, at the end of the service, I started to lose my voice. I went home, and I did lose my voice. And for the rest of this past week, it's been shaky. So we're praying for the Lord to bless, and it's not a painful thing to listen this morning. Amen? Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, this is a section of scripture that you want to speak to each one of us individually. You have something for us. All of your scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This morning, we want to humble ourselves before you, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Draw us near to you this morning, God, in whatever way you need to. And we just open our hearts to you now, Lord. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, one of the most amazing things about being part of the church is that We're part of a body. We're part of 
not just a body, but the body. We're part of the body of Jesus Christ. There is only one body with many members, diverse, but with one head who is Christ. Now, we as the body of Christ have one goal. Our charge, we should be single-minded in what we're called to do, and that is to operate, listen, in unison for the purpose of bringing glory to our King. That is why we exist, folks. As we've come to Christ, our eternal address has changed. We are in Christ. We're in his body. And now our one single purpose is to bring glory to his name. And it takes the whole body to do that. Uh, God has brought you into uh, this particular part of the body of Christ. I'm a firm believer that analogy that, you know, even though there are many, many different churches around our, our country and world today, that God somehow, he brings a completed, unified people into a, 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 a membership within a particular church that completes a small fraction of the body of Christ. And so we're here this morning and as God even adds to our, our members of this body, there is, a, in a sense, a completeness in what God is doing here. And he wants to, you know, but, but here's the thing. It requires all members to be in unison with one another. Think about the human body. The human body is fascinating. If you've ever studied it, you know at the end of the day, there's no way it could have just happened. No possible way. We didn't just, we didn't simply evolve over millions of years. No way. No way. We're too complicated. But here's what I know about the physical body is that there are many members in the body. And do you know, all of them have purpose. Every single part of your body has purpose. Even though the dentist will tell you, you don't need your wisdom teeth, they have purpose. There's a reason why we have these things. Let me give you an example. How many toes do you have? Don't take your shoes off now. How many toes do you have? You have 10 toes. Well, hey, you could lose one toe and it should be no big deal, right? I mean, you have nine others. Hey, do you know simply removing one of your toes uh, creates instability and affects your balance to the point that you have to probably learn to walk again? That's how important your toe is. So, too, is the entire members of the body of Christ. Listen, if you lose a toe, you're not going to be able to move the way that you're called to move. And if the body of Christ isn't... uh, altogether unified, we also won't be able to move the way that God is calling us to move. Welcome to Acts chapter 6. That's exactly what's happening here. The body of Christ has grown to a point where uh, they, they, it's great, far greater than what the 12 apostles can handle. There's no way that they can lead all of these people. There are thousands, probably tens of thousands of people in the church Uh, at this point in time. Uh, And and so the vision that God has for the church has always been bigger than just 12 people. His call was that they would go into the world, they would make disciples, and those, those disciples would then take on the same vision and purpose that these apostles had. It was a, a, you know, just a continual movement that God was calling these people to. 
It will take the entire body, it will take every member of the body in order for God's vision to be fulfilled. Now, maybe you've heard of the 80-20 rule. You ever heard of that rule? Where 80% of the work, 80% of what happens in a particular organization is done by 20% of people. Do you know how accurate that is? It's very accurate. And in fact, if you go to any organization or you go to any business or any kind of group uh, where people are, are assembled together, you'll find this to be true. You'll find that 80% of the, the production or whatever happens is, is the result of really a small amount of people. Now, I want to share with you something about that in particular relating to the church of Jesus Christ. That rule does not apply to us. We don't care what the rest of the world does. Hey, there are many pastors that will settle for the 80-20 rule. If only we could get to 80-20. If only we could get to a place where we could get 20% participating in the body of Christ. No way. That's not God's vision for his church. God's vision for his church is what's called the 100-100 rule. That's where 100% of the production or or 100% of the success of the movement happens because 100% of people are engaged in doing what they're called to do. That is God's intentions for his church. We don't get to do it however we want to do it. We get to do it the way that he calls us to do it, and that's how he calls us to do it. Everyone has a role to play in the body of Christ. I'm calling this message this morning, Sharing the Load. Sharing the load. The title implies two things here. First, that the leaders of the church recognize their inability to do it all. That's the implication of number one in the title itself. Uh, Number two is that the body of Christ recognized they must engage and use their gifting to share the load. Now, contrary to popular belief... The pastor is not the most important person in the room. The pastor is not the most important person in the room. Jesus Christ is the most important person in the room. And I want to tell you that the pastor stands on level ground with the rest of the servants in this building. Do you know that? He, he has a different role. He's definitely more vocal. But he is not more important. Listen. All of us have an important role. If you put your hand to the plow in the church of Jesus Christ, what you're doing is significant. I don't care what it is. Because what we do echoes into eternity, said Gladiator uh, somewhere at some point. But, uh, you know, it's true. Listen, there is no other thing in your life, uh, no calling on your life, no gifting that God has given you that is more important than this. This is eternal, the call, the Christ calling you into his body and saying, I want to use you, I'm gifted you in all these kinds of things. It doesn't matter how successful you are in the world if uh, you don't use all of that gifting for the glory of God. Because what we're called to is eternal, folks. God is calling us to share the load in the body of Christ. There are, as I said, many members of the body of Christ working for the purpose of revealing Jesus in this building this morning. Everybody's trying to do the same thing. Whether you come in the doors and you're welcomed at the doors, they're trying to work in unison to bring glory to Christ. 
whether you fill out the Connect card and you take it to the Welcome Center, the people there in the Welcome Center are working in unison with everybody else in the building to bring glory to Jesus Christ. The children's ministry, the coffee shop, the youth ministry, the tech team, the worship team, all working in unison for the purpose of bringing glory to the King. Now, my question to you this morning is where do you fit in in that? Where do you fit in in that particular uh, statement this morning? That's what I want to ask you. Listen, in order for us to be who God is calling us to be, we have to be a body. And we have to operate as a body. And the body needs everyone. The body, in order to be effective, needs every part of the body to be working together. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know the verses. Verses 14 through 27. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. Listen, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Amen? Hey, listen. You are no less part of the body because of where you serve, Christian. You're no less part of the body. You're no less important than anyone else who's serving. The people that clean the restrooms, all contributing to the glory of Christ in unison with all of the members of the body of Christ. You're not less important. There are no low-level jobs in the body of Christ. Every job con contributes to something eternal. That's a big deal. Fulfilling your role is the most important thing that you can do in life, Christian, because what you do, again, translates into eternity. When the church doesn't operate like this, it won't be effective and grow. That's what Paul said also in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He said, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into, in, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Turn to your neighbor on your left and say, we need you. Go ahead and do that. I mean, say it like you mean it, man. Say it like you mean it. Hey, turn to the person on your right and say, don't stun our growth. 
Don't you stunt our growth. I'm talking to you over here, you know. It's true. We need everybody. We need everybody to contribute to what God is doing here. As we gather together, every single thing that happens in order for this assembling to occur matters. It all matters. And it all needs to be done in love. It all needs to be done for the purpose of the glory of Christ. We're not doing it because we want the, the toe to admire the armpit or the, you know, or, or the right ear to, it, to admire the left toenail. You know, we, we, we don't do these things to be glorified amongst each other. We do this for the purpose of Jesus, for his glory, for his honor. And when that happens, when the body of Christ is doing this, God can then use it in unique ways to accomplish his purpose. Why do you think Jesus' prayer was Father? In John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Father, make them one like we are one. Father, bring them in perfect unison like, you, like we're in perfect unison. How unified is the Godhead? That was Christ's prayer for his body. To be unified as the Godhead is unified. That really when we leave this place, in, in the midst of even coming into this place, that we wouldn't know where the body starts and where it, where it ends because it's so unified and so operating in sync. That's what God wants for us. Do you believe in the power of prayer? More importantly, do you believe in the power, power of prayer of the Son of God who prayed for that? Hey, he wants that in his church. He wants his body to be unified. There are a lot of different things people uh, can do to put their hand to the plow in the body of Christ. Oftentimes, people don't know what to do. Where do I go? Where do I serve? How do I do these things? And I would say, listen, that's not for me to tell you. I'm not God. I don't know. There's a lot of needs. I can tell you the needs. But you have to determine where it is that God has called you. I don't know what type of the body of Christ you are. I don't know if you're a voice box or if you're a, a, a great thinker or if you're a, you know, somebody who's good with kids or, or you're, you can, you know, I don't know what your giftings are, but God does. And I think it's your responsibility to pray and ask him what those are so that you can plug into where he's calling you to plug into. Amen. That's what he wants for you. Listen, it's so crazy to me that Christians, you know, are, are almost a lot of times like fish out of water. They don't know where to belong and they just flounder in the body of Christ. And they're like, I don't know where I go. What do I do? You know, listen, God has put within you a calling on your life. And it will take work to figure it out. I promise you. You know, it, it, it takes time. It takes effort, but, but if you don't put any effort into seeking out his plan and purpose for your life, let me tell you something, you'll never find it. You'll never find it. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me, he says. If you seek the Lord and you ask him, Lord, what do you want to do with me in your body? He will show you. And I promise you, there's nobody on the sidelines in the body of Christ. He say, oh, you just go stand over there and stand on the sidelines. He'll never say that to you. Never say that to you because the body of Christ is to be working in unison for the glory of the king. And so he's going to show you. He's going to direct you. He's going to guide you. 
in exactly what he's calling you to do. And, you know, some, and a lot of times what happens is God will confirm those things through other people. But, you know, how lazy of us to, to, you know, go to somebody else and ask somebody else, well, what do you see in me? What do you think God wants to do in me? Hey, you figure it out and then you say, hey, do you think, here's what I think the Lord's sharing with me. Do you see that in me? I didn't go to my pastor and say, hey, do you think that, uh, what do you think God wants to do with me in my life? No, I didn't, I didn't wait for him to figure it out. I figured it out on my own. How? Through prayer, through fasting, through seeking the Lord. In my devotional times, intentionally asking God, what do you want? Some of you in this room today, this morning, right now, you're saying, you're kind of in this Christian sort of groove and you're just thinking like, is this it? Is this all? Is this all I'm doing? Is this my existence until Jesus comes back? And, and, and here's the thing is you're not in the groove that he's calling you to be in. You're just in a groove. And you're, you haven't spent the time to seek him. You haven't spent the time to ask him, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? This is your life. You died on the cross for me. You were crucified so that I could be born again to a living hope. And now everything that I am should be living for you. As Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Lord. My life is yours. What do you want to do with it? And then you follow him. Wasn't that his call? Hey, follow me. He called you to follow him. And Last time I checked, guides typically show you where to go. I, I mean, if you're a guide and you're not showing people where to go, you're probably not a good guide. But Jesus is a perfect guide. In fact, Jesus is the shepherd that cares for his sheep. And, and Jesus said in John 10, listen to this, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. What I'm going to say to you this morning, if you're floundering in the body and you don't know where you belong, Maybe this 21 days of prayer and fasting is for you specifically. Maybe the Lord is saying, you need to spend 21 days of just seeking my face and asking me intentionally, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is it that you're calling me to do, Lord? I'm part of your body. I don't even know what part I am. Am am I a quadricep, Lord? Am I a gluteus maximus, Lord? What am I? I don't know, God. Will you show me? Here's what I know about God. God is faithful to speak to his kids. God is faithful to show us where he wants us. God is never silent. Here's the issue with his voice. It's just small and still. And if we're not listening intentionally, we'll miss it. Seek his face. Look to him, ask him what it is that he wants to do. I think when you come into Acts chapter six, here's an environment where the body of Christ has exploded to the point that it is impossible for the apostles to do everything. It's impossible for them to step in. And do you know that was God's intention? It wasn't meant to be done by them. They were to start the church but God would continue it through other people. And that's what he wants to do here. In Acts chapter six, he's revealing these things so that the apostles know, hey, time has come. The mantle has to be passed on. 
to other people. Things are dropping through the cracks in the early church here. And the, the apostles can't abandon their calling to fix every problem in the body of Christ. Other people have to be ro- risen up in the body and they have to be empowered to do the work of the ministry. And that's exactly what we're gonna see. We get This morning we get a firsthand look at how the leaders are to lead and how the body is to engage to rise up and share the load. Now this entire situation is orchestrated by a complaint. Imagine that. Check it out in verse one here. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now it's no surprise, I know to you, I know it is to me that people complain. Uh, They do complain, but they even complain in the church. Imagine that. Now, I know this is so wrong. This is incredibly wrong, and Lord, forgive me. But I find, I find someone, uh, I feel good about seeing complainers in the early church. I feel good about seeing that the early church had problems too. Aren't we always saying, why can't we be like the early church? I suggest to you, we are actually very much like the early church. I, I think that we're incredibly like the early church. The early church wasn't perfect, folks. And there is no perfect church. And as the, my pastoral duty, I need to say this because this is part of it, is there is no perfect church. And if you join it, it will become imperfect. So don't join it, okay? So there you go. But listen, the early church had a lot of problems, particularly as they grew. Because the more people, the more what? No. Opportunities, man. Opportunities, problems. Get behind me, Satan, you know. It brings more opportunities for you and I to grow in the body of Christ. How else are you going to learn long-suffering if there aren't people that you have to mix, do, you know, have mixes with and stuff and get to know and, and be a thorn in your flesh. How else are you going to grow in patience? Some of you are like, hey, can I send my spouse to the, uh, to the youth conference over there? You know? No, you cannot. You cannot. They're there in your life for a reason. God is using them to shape you and change you. God uses people to present the opportunity for us to grow. And God is using this instance in particular as an opportunity for the body to grow, for, for him to be able to shape and change the way that the leadership needs to look at the ministry. This, um, this opportunity emerges through the complaint about the neglect of the Hellenistic widows. That's, that's the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews who had adopted the Greek culture Um, Remember, at the day of Pentecost, there were travelers from all around who had come to celebrate. They they were there. And Peter gave that sermon, and a ton of 3,000 people got saved. Those 3,000 people never left Jerusalem. They're still here. They're being discipled. They're probably Hellenists mixed in with those people. And they're needing to be taken care of. They don't have jobs. They're, they're there, and 
you can't just send them away and go, hey, I hope your relationship with Jesus goes well. See you later. No, he called us not just to share the gospel, but to disciple people, folks. It's, it's one thing to evangelize and to give somebody the truth of the gospel, but really the heart of the Great Commission is discipleship. And evangelism is part of discipleship. You have to share the truth with somebody in order for them to get saved so that then you can then disciple them. And I would say discipleship is what is severely lacking in the body of Christ. When somebody shares their faith with somebody, do you know you have a responsibility then to disciple them? And, and, and if not, you should really, you know, try and figure out how you can plug them into somebody else so that they can be discipled. They're discipling these new converts. And, this, and, and so they have all these different mixes of people. Now, the Hebrews and the Hellenists culturally don't like each other much. The Hebrews, who are the nationalists there in Israel, feel like the Hellenists have sold out and adopted the Greek culture. And so, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they have a problem with them. Now, we don't know if this is... There's neglect is the accusation. We don't know if that's actually happening or not. We just know that there's a complaint. We don't know that the Hebrews are showing preferential treatment to the Hebrew widows and orphans. We don't know that. But what we know is that there is a complaint that God is going to use. When he talks about the distribution here, the table, we shouldn't leave our ministry to serve the tables What he's talking about is the mandate for Christians and particularly also the Jews to care for orphans and widows. That's a mandate from the Lord, that you care for those who can't care for themselves. In this culture, uh, widows and orphans couldn't care for themselves. If they didn't have family members that could adopt them in and take care of them, they were on their own. They couldn't go get jobs or anything like that. It was the church's responsibility to take care of these people. And what happened was they were probably modeling what they had seen done with the Jews. Okay, so let's set up a distribution table. That wasn't just for food. That distribution table was for resources and supplies and whatever, the, whatever was needed there. That's what it's talking about. So the issue here is is that these Hellenistic widows are not being taken care of in the distribution. That's what they say. There's preferential treatment in all of this stuff, which is interesting. Keep that in mind as we move forward. This is the catalyst that the Lord is going to use to reveal the priorities of the, the apostles here. Look at, verses, look at verse 2 there. And the 12 summoned the number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then look at verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is what I call a family meeting. This is where the body of Christ assembles because there's some things that we need to talk about in, in relating to every one of us in the room. And so the apostles call a family meeting and they're going to talk about contributions in the body of Christ. And they're going to say, hey, listen. There's an accusation about the the Hellenists being neglected in the daily distribution. And we cannot leave our calling to take care of these issues. 
Now, whose responsibility is the neglect in the first place? It's theirs. They're the leaders. The leader takes responsibility for the problem. But where does the solution come from? From the rest of the body. The leader, if he takes off and he goes into, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it, and you, you become a fireman in the ministry, you'll never accomplish what God's calling you to accomplish. You can't do that as a leader. You have to delegate to people who God raises up in order to fulfill their ministries. Listen to what he says. It isn't right for us to do this. It's not right for the pastor to, to leave prayer and, or, or the leaders, the elders and such, to leave the ministry of the people through prayer and through the ministry of the word to take care of the practical needs of the body. Do the practical needs of the body need to be taken care of? Of course they do. They're not saying this is beneath me. They're not saying that, you know, what they're saying is this is a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of, hey, there's tens of thousands of you. Certainly God has put the calling on somebody to rise up and to help out in this situation. That's what's happening here. They have to prioritize the calling of their lives. Hey, every leader has to do that at some point. You can't do it all. Listen, when I planted this church, I was the, the media guy, the sound guy, the worship leader. I was the maintenance dude. I cleaned the bathrooms. I did all of that. My family was part of that process. But listen, at some point, I can't do that any longer. I also had a full-time job running a business as a CEO at the time. Don't tell me you don't have time. You make priority whatever it is that you desire and what you care about, period. I was here at long hours in the evening running lines to set up projectors and all kinds of stuff. And I'm not doing this to pat you, pat myself on the back. I'm telling you that it takes sacrifice to serve the Lord. I love David. Don't, 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 give, don't consider, don't give me nothing. In, I don't know. Never mind. Just forget I said that. Man. <laughs> the 12 know that they need help. And that is a good attribute of a leader, folks. The last thing you want is an egomaniac that thinks the entire entity depends on them. That's the last thing you want to see in the church. Hey, that happens in the world and that can stay out there. But shame on the church when we start to put the pressure on the one guy that they think is the most important person in the room and he's not. But he's just a servant like everybody else. A leader, whatever, yes. But shame on us when we bring that worldly thinking into the church. And we think, oh, he should do it. Hey, we all have a part to play in this. And God is doing great things, and he will continue to do great things if people rise up. Imagine in this moment if the apostles go, well, we'll, we'll leave the, the word and prayer, and we'll go take care of this neglect, right? I want you to take notice of what it says in verse 7. Verse it says, and the word of God continued to increase. If they would have left the word of God, the church would have stopped growing. 
the church would have stopped growing. They could have taken on the neglect and solved the problem, but the church would have stopped growing. God is calling others to step up. So the 12 summon the full number of the disciples. And they say, listen, we see there's an issue, but we can't leave our calling to go take care of it. So the priority is now revealed. Our job is primarily to prayer and the word of God. That's what we're called to do. The us 12, we're going to focus on that. And so that, that is our priority. And in order for this distribution thing to be resolved, we need to choose men who are called by God to step into this role. Look at verses 3 through 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The apostles understood that they needed help here. They needed others to share the load. So they instruct the believers to select the servants, listen, whom the apostles will then empower to oversee this ministry. Isn't that interesting? The whole body's involved in this. The whole body is involved in. The apostles say, listen, there's thousands of you. And we, we don't have the time to figure out who's got the calling. So you guys go in your respective circles and you seek men who have these particular attributes. This is your responsibility. You're called to look at these men. You're called to know each other to that degree that when, they, when, when hands are going to be laid on somebody, that you know them, that you can vouch for them. You have to be making those kinds of relationships in the body of Christ in order to be the, the people that God is calling them to be here in this moment. So, they, it says the brothers, and the, the brothers, but it's really more accurately the men and the women of the church. They begin to select these particular uh, who will become leaders by the criteria that the apostles lay out. Number one, they must be men. In the Greek, there is no inference of what gen, gender this should be. This says they should be men. He's calling men to rise up in leadership. Understand, this is the precedence of the church. They're, they're establishing what will now move forward into what, what the normal processes of the church should look like. They are looking for men to lead. Men are called to be the leaders of their homes and the, and the church. And this isn't a slight on women. Women are used greatly in the body of Christ in all of that. They're just not called to lead men. And the Bible is clear about that. I don't understand why our culture continues to have issues like this, where churches are trying to try and redefine what the Word of God says. Well, you know, we, I was just watching a YouTube clip uh, earlier today about this pastor was going off about, you know, men, why can't women preach and all this stuff? Because God said so. I didn't set the church up. Don't get mad at me. I don't murder the messenger. God said it. I didn't. It is what it is, as they say. But here's the reality. There's an order to things. There's a structure to things. 
And God, because he's creator, he gets to determine those things, not me. It's as ludicrous to me that people in the church would redefine what God says already as people in our culture would try and redefine their natural born genders and such. It's, it's ludicrous to me. You're not the creator. You don't get to do whatever you want to do. We have an instruction manual called the word of God. And we go to the word of God. And this is how it's always been. Did you see any women in that list? Do you think there were women could, that could run circles around these dudes? In there? Of course there were. And in fact, we see later, Philip's daughters, they are prophetesses. Tetesses. They, they're used mightily. It's not to say that women can't be used mightily in the church. It's just a structure, the way that the God has laid things out. They must be men, he says. Not only that, they must be men of good repute. Meaning that you have to know these people. They can't be acquaintances of you. You can't just, listen, I can easily fool you temporarily. If you, if you are hang around me temporarily, I can be on my best behavior and make you think that I am super godly. And I can make, I can fool you in that way. But only people who, who spend time with others and really know them can say, this person is of good repute. This is a relationship thing. Are these people who they say they are? Now, here's the thing. You're never going to find a perfect person. That's not what he said, is it? He just said somebody who's of good repute. Somebody who's good of good repute makes mistakes. They fail. They sin. But the question is, what do they do after that? That's a person of good repute. Somebody who will own up to their sin. Somebody will, who will go and make things right. Somebody who will genuinely repent and turn away and turn to God. That's somebody of good repute. You'll never know these things if you don't do life with people. That's a, this is a calling for the body of Christ to know each other intimately, to really be doing life together. They must be men full of the Spirit. This is to say first and foremost, they must be believers. They must be full of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I get that? Because only believers are full of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't be an unbeliever and not be full of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who brings life into you. He is the breath of life. The Ruach. He is, you know, Jesus blowing the breath of life into the nostrils of man at creation. Jesus, after he rises again from the dead, says he blows on the, the apostles in the upper room as they're afraid, and they received the Holy Spirit. Only people who are born again have the Holy Spirit. You have to be a believer in order to be a leader in the church. It has nothing to do with your natural abilities. You have to be somebody who is full of the Spirit, a believer. And secondly, you must be somebody who is displaying the Spirit of God in their lives through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Somebody who's walking in the Spirit of God, not perfectly, again, but you can see the effects of the Spirit of God in their life. Not only that, but they must be men full of wisdom. This also implies two things. Number one, that they are knowledgeable in the Word of God. Uh, what is wisdom? Applied knowledge. It's the ability 
to take the knowledge from the word of God and to apply it in the life of somebody uh, in a situation. That is what wisdom is. And sometimes we have to pray for wisdom, ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom and help me understand how to apply your word. Where is the, the, the knowledge that I need to apply here, Lord? But here's the idea is that they're knowledgeable in the word of God. You need people in the, men in the leadership of the church should be knowledgeable of the word of God. They should be able to walk through the word with you. And then they should be able to apply it into your life, into your circumstances and situations. Do you believe the Bible has all the answers? It has all the answers. We just need to seek it for those answers. And we need men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to be able to help us walk through our situation. They find these seven men. Stephen, a man full of faith who will talk about, and of the Holy Spirit, who we'll talk about next week. The next possibly a couple weeks. I hate to break this up, but it's a huge chunk of scripture in the book of Acts. But Stephen was an amazing man. God had his hand on them. They selected well. Philip, we'll talk about in Acts chapter 8. Philip goes on to be used mightily by the Lord. These other guys, we don't know much about. Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas and we don't know much about these guys at all. But at the end of the day, what we know is that they fit the bill of what the apostles said that they should be looking for. Something else that you should notice about that list of men there. They're all Greek names. Remember, it was a Hellenistic issue. The, the Greek-speaking Jews were saying we're being neglected in the distribution and here, what's interesting is the entire body, both Hebrew and Hellenists, come together and they select seven Greek-speaking Jews. They, they, what the grace of God in the body of Christ right here. Of saying, man, let's put, here's the issue, let's find seven men that are of the, of the you know, Hellenistic background that these women would feel comfortable Wow, the grace of God. That suggests maybe that wasn't really what was happening. It was just a misunderstanding or something like that. But the idea of the body being concerned about the neglect. Everybody was concerned about the problems in the church here. When just the leadership, it was everybody. And so they select these men. And, um, and they, they bring them in. It says before, they set them before the apostles. Here's the apostles' responsibility. You guys have selected these seven men. Are they the men? And what do they do to determine that? They have this big, long questionnaire, and they go through. They make them do the, you know, uh, the Briggs-Stratton test and all these different things. I'm not sure if you fit in with our eldership and all. No, you know what they do? They pray. They pray. Because here is what's happening here is that the apostles aren't appointing anybody to anything. The apostles need the Lord to say, these are my men. Why? Because we can easily be fooled. Easily be fooled by, you know, uh, the persuasion of speech and all these different things. Character and, and we can see, you know, we can even, there's fake fruit on people and such. And so they're saying, this is a huge responsibility and I'm not going to lay my hands on somebody until the Lord says that it's okay. 
you know, here at our church, at Calvary Chapel, when we ordain a pastor or we bring in a, a new elder onto our um, eldership and such, we, we, we go through a process. Like, first and foremost, we just watch people. We, we get to know people. We observe what is the Lord doing in that person's life. And then we come together every so often and we say, hey, let's watch these guys as the Lord leads us to. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll start to watch people. And, and, and then at some point, I, as the Lord tells us to add to our leadership, we'll say, hey, let's pray about these guys specifically. And then we'll approach that, that person and we'll say, hey, uh, we feel like the Lord is, is, is maybe putting you on our hearts in this regard. Will you pray about it? And then, we, and then we sit down and talk to them about it. We talk to their spouse about it. You know, we bring them before the body of Christ. Is there any issues that you know about relating to this person? And then after that process is done, we say, okay, we lay hands on them. The idea is that you're transferring authority uh, and leadership onto these people that the people would know these are my leaders. And that's what's happening here. The apostles, they pray. The Lord gives them the green light. They're not appointing anybody to anything. They're acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these men. And everybody else is in agreement. And then they lay their hands on them. This is the first time in the New Testament you see this application of the laying on of the hands in relation to the church here. It's the first time you see it. It, it was a practice that was done in Judaism. But it was done in a lot of different ways. They laid the hands on the scapegoat when they sent the scapegoat out of camp. They laid their hands on a lot of different situations. In this particular case, this would become the mandate for commissioning people into the leadership of the church. They would lay their hands on them. We'll see this in Acts chapter 15. The, you know, uh, James and, and the brothers lay the hands on Paul and Barnabas as they're sent out and such. So we'll, we'll start to see this idea. The complaint has risen. The priority is revealed. The men are chosen. Finally, what we see is the effects of all of that and the awakening continued. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The beautiful thing we find happening here is the word of God continuing to increase or continuing to spread. It's the word of God going forward. Why? Because the body of Christ was engaged and stepped up to fulfill the needs that arose as they grew. The, the apostles cannot micromanage the ministry. There's no way for them to step in. The word of God would have been affected and so they do what leaders do. They lead and they delegate and they ask the body to, 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 to seek out the men that they feel are uh, fit this calling. And then they do. And as a result of all of that, the word of God continues to increase. The word goes forward. When the word goes forward, lives are changed, folks. When the word of God goes forward, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to... Do, divide joint and marrow, spirit and soul. It shows the intents of the heart. It is a revealer. It brings healing. 
the word of God is we take it serious in our church. And that's why we teach line by line, to be honest, because we believe that every word is written for the purpose of God's people. You know, one time, Skip Isaac was asked, uh, he, he asked J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee was a verse-by-verse Bible teacher, a legend in the pulpit. And he said, J. Vernon McGee, why do some pastors choose to teach topically? And he said, because they're lazy. <laughs> I don't think he said it like that, but it was something like that. He said, those were his words because they're lazy. Hey, it's a, it's a lot of work to break the word down line by line. But that's what we're called to do. Paul said, I want to give the whole counsel of God. If the apostles weren't able to focus on the word of God, they would have never done that. They set the precedence for how the word of God is to go forward, verse by verse. It's how it's supposed to be done. Doesn't mean you can't teach topically here and there, but but how are you going to have the whole counsel of God, uh, you know, taught to you unless you do it this way, verse by verse through the Bible? It says... And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Remember, Acts chapter 2, and the Lord added to the church. Now he's multiplying to the church in Jerusalem. It is blowing up. That's the concept here. Why? Because the church is being who the church is supposed to be. They're operating in unison for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the word of God is the thing that they're focused on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. It's the word of God that brings the conviction in unison with the spirit of God that draws people to Christ. And they were focused on that. It's so interesting that the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And remember, this is the beginning of a global movement. This is where everything starts to change for the church. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right now, The word has gone forward. Jerusalem is saturated with the word of God. And what's going to happen here through persecution is now the the church is going to be pushed outside of Jerusalem and Samaria and, you know, to the uttermost parts of the world. The word of God is going to go forward and this global movement is going to happen. And we're part of it today because of this. The dedication of the early church, the apostles and their leadership and just being willing to do what God says to do. You know, they didn't have, uh, they didn't get mailers once a week and emails saying, hey, this is how you grow your church. They didn't even have the New Testament, folks. They had the Holy Spirit. Do you have what you need to be effective in the world today? You absolutely do if you're a born-again believer. You have the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God bring, bring forward the Word of God as you are ministering in the world today, and you will see God use you greatly. Not only was there a great multitude that had come, uh, you know, to Christ in Jerusalem, but the priests started to come to Christ. It says there that a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Remember, where would they assemble? In the temple. Where were the priests? In the temple. The priests, again, probably watching from afar what is happening here, watching this movement start to blow up and listening to the word of God being taught. And they're being affected on a regular basis, probably just bystanders. And that is to say to you and I this morning, you don't know who's watching you, but somebody is 
watching you. And you don't know the impact you're making by just simply living your life for Christ. So don't, uh, don't assume that you have to be this, you know, super vocal, uh, vibrant person that has to be like, hey, let's talk about Jesus in the office or anything like that. You just do your normal job. You do it to the glory of Christ and you love people. When God opens doors, you share the word of God with people and you be faithful to those things and people are watching and they'll be affected by it. That's what's happening here. Even the priests are coming to Christ as a result. The mandate of the body of Christ is simple, folks. Share the load. Do your part. There is no sidelines in the body of Christ. The entire body should be engaged in helping in whatever the Lord would lead. Hey, listen, if you notice an area of neglect in our midst this morning, or as you've been here for a while, you know, don't just be willing to say something about it. Be willing to do something about it. Be willing to step into it. Don't just surf and say, here's the problem. See you later. Be willing to be part of the solution. Amen. Hey, because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to step into maybe what God is calling you to do. Maybe that's why God brought you here in the first place. We're a body and we are many members, diverse, but with one purpose for the glory of Jesus, working in unison together. So be the body of Christ, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we ask you to just take us from this place this morning, God, with a heart that is on fire for you. God, that we'd be willing to step into the calling that you've called us to, Lord. That we would not be people who would stand on the sidelines in Christ and just wait for Jesus for the bus to go to heaven, Lord. But we want to be engaged. And we want to be active. We want to be used by you, Lord. And a lot of what was spoken here today, Lord, has a lot to do with our character. And a lot to do with the way that you're working in and through our lives. Lord, what I know is that you clean us up for the purpose of service. And you desire for us to serve you. So, Father, for those who are in, this, in our midst this morning that aren't certain what you're calling them to, aren't certain what they should be stepping into, God, will you give them wisdom? Will you give them understanding? Will you help them to know? Father, for those who are doing what they're called to do, and maybe they're discouraged this morning, and they're not seeing the fruit that they would like to see, and yet there is not a, a release from the Holy Spirit, but they're, they're still called to put their hand to this particular plow, I want to... I want to just ask you to refresh them this morning to know that we're not responsible for the results of the ministries that you call us to, Lord, but you, but we're responsible to be faithful to the call that you've given us. And we know, Father, that, that you give us a little to start with. And as we're faithful with the little, you add to it. You are faithful. So God, refresh us in your spirit this morning. Fill us up and move us into a place of engagement if we're not. And just keep us encouraged, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.